There you go. Hey, I'm Bud Brainerd. I'm one of the pastors here at Lake Forest Davidson. We're glad to have you here with us this morning. Lake Forest Davidson is a community uh, filled with people, some of whom are cautious about Jesus, some are curious about Jesus, and others are fully committed to following Jesus. It doesn't matter where you are on that spectrum. Uh, this is a safe place for you to learn and to grow and to change, and so we're glad that you're here this morning. What we say every week is as long as you don't have it all together, you're going to fit right in here. So we're glad to, have you, uh, glad to have you with us. The round reminds us that we're not on the journey alone. We are on it together. And you're not here by chance or by accident. There is a reason. And the reason is that we need one another in order to follow Christ, which is not easy, and to keep him at the center of our lives. We can only do that as we work together. So over the past four weeks, in case you haven't been here, uh, we started a series on the five solas of the Reformation. We did that because last month was the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. And the crowd goes wild. Yes. Yeah. How many of you celebrated Thanksgiving this last week? Raise your hands. That's only like a couple hundred years old. Reformation is 500 years old, right? So it's a, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. So the five essential tenets of the Reformation, which we've been preaching on every week, are um, uh, Scripture alone, Christ alone, faith alone, grace alone, and today we're going to finish up the series on the last of the sola. Sola is just a Latin word that means alone. So the last one is to the glory of God alone. This fifth sola has been called the logical summation of the other four. So if you think of those other four, Christ alone, uh, faith alone, grace alone, scripture alone, you put all those together and all of those really point to the glory of God alone. Now the glory of God is something that we have a difficulty uh, staying focused on. So this morning is going to be uh, an effort to try to sharpen our focus a little bit. The Westminster Confession, the Shorter Catechism, the very first question, so it's the most important question, reads something like this. What is the chief purpose of our lives? And the answer is to glorify God and to enjoy God forever. So it begs the question, what is the glory of God? There are a lot, of, a lot of definitions, but the one I found that I'm going to go with today is this. God's glory is the singular splendor of God and the consequences for mankind. So God is, is glorious in and of himself. His glory is inherent. It is who God is in essence. And the glory of God is unique to God. As a matter of fact, Scripture makes it clear that God will share a lot of things with us, like His love, but one thing that God will not share with anyone or with anything is His glory. He is very jealous about His glory, and therein lies the challenge to our culture and the importance of this fifth sola. 
We live in a time when we are constantly bombarded with the glorification of self. Radical self-centeredness is considered a virtue. And it's often an essential if one wants to achieve success. doesn't matter what the success is in. The result is that we end up an awful lot like Narcissus. We tend to focus on ourselves. We concentrate on our rights. So it's whether it's our rights or our talent or our needs, we become mesmerized and enamored by our achievements, believing that somehow those demonstrate and reflect our glory. The truth is we cannot focus on God's glory while we are fixated on our own. We cannot focus on God's glory while we are fixated on our own. So this last of the, of the uh, five solas, the soli deo gloria, is the antidote to this misguided myopic view of life. It is a radical view of God-centered living. Now, some of you know who this is. Johann Sebastian Bach. Music is an agreeable harmony for the honor of God and the permissible delights of the soul. One of the best German Baroque composers uh, to ever live. If you've ever been to a, to a wedding, you have probably heard some of his music. And, and for the first time ever in the six-year history of Lake Forest Davidson, I'm going to ask our organist to play just a snippet of one of his pieces. Organist, please. desiring. That sound familiar? We, we really know an awful lot of Bach music, even though we may not recognize it as Bach music. For instance, most of you know his Toccata and Fugue in D minor. It's also referred to as that scary piece of organ music. Organist, please. I will tell you as a pastor, if you're going to do a wedding, you should not get those two mixed up. All right? 
Bach has sometimes been called the fifth evangelist. He was a theologian who just happened to use a keyboard. And he wrote over a thousand pieces of music. Over three-fourths of those were written specifically for worship. At the end of most of his scores, he wrote these three letters. S-D-G. Soli Deo Gloria. Everything that Bach wrote, he wrote to the glory of God. Now, the glory of God is one of the few topics addressed by almost every biblical writer. If we were to look at the texts that refer to the glory of God, we would be here until um, Christmas next year. Every Old Testament writer, Moses, the chronicler, the psalmist, the prophets, the wisdom writers, all of those wrote about the glory of God, as did all four of the gospel writers and every New Testament writer. They make mention of the glory of God. It is a central doctrine to our Christian faith, and it is from those writers that we learn a great deal about God's glory. We're not going to cover the whole topic this morning. That would take far too long. But you need to know that the glory of God is associated with some pretty important events in the Bible. For instance, the giving of the law. Moses goes up on the mountain and the glory of God surrounds him up there. Uh, it's associated with the Exodus. The glory of God was a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke that led uh, Israel out of bondage in Egypt. It was associated, that same pillar of, flower, uh, of uh, fire and pillar of smoke was associated with the wilderness wanderings. The worship of God in the temple and in the tabernacle uh, was all filled with the glory of God. The birth, transfiguration, death, and resurrection of Jesus, again, evidence of the glory of God. The glory of God is something that God has partially revealed to us. Now, partially is important. Why? Well, I saw a documentary once uh, that had Indiana Jones in it, and uh, apparently if you open the Ark of the Covenant and the glory of the God comes out in its fullness, it'll just melt your face. So it was a pretty scary documentary. But uh, God has chosen not to remain completely hidden and cloaked entirely in mystery. He has revealed his glory. So this morning, quickly, we're going to look at five ways in which God's glory is revealed in Scripture, and then we're going to look at two ways that you and I can do what Johann Sebastian Bach did, and that is how can we live our lives to the glory of God. So first, God reveals His glory in creation. Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. My voice is breaking a little bit. Uh, some of you know I had laryngitis this last week, uh, so I'm not really going through puberty. It's just uh, the voice is coming back slowly. I uh, keep waiting on puberty, but uh, just have to keep waiting, I guess. Anyway, uh, God reveals his glory in creation. The universe is absolutely amazing. 
in its beauty, in its intricacy, in its complexity. It exceeds our comprehension. Last week, we heard Professor Stevens, uh, the Davidson chemistry professor, talk about how science is the study of the natural world, the natural universe. And while science is important and science is exciting, it cannot reveal who God is. God is the one who created everything, and he holds the key both to its origin and to its purpose. God's glory is behind everything we see. God's glory is behind everything that we see. Secondly, God reveals his glory in choosing a people as his own. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. He says, in him, meaning in Christ, we, also, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to uh, him, the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. That's why we were created. For the praise of his glory. Have you thought about this? God was absolutely complete and self-sufficient without us. God was complete without creating the world or creating humanity. From God's side, creation was a choice. It was not a necessity. It was a choice, not a necessity. God did not need the universe or us but God wanted us. And that's an important distinction. God created us so that his very nature, his love, would have a place to rest. He chose to reveal his glory in creation and in creating a people who would tell the world about the one who made all things. That's why we're here. Now, I'm pretty comfortable telling people about God. I get paid for that. But sharing God with people, sharing the fact that there is a God, that there's a God who created, that there's a God who redeems, that there's a God who loves, that there's a God who saves, that there's a God who will be there for us, is our work. It is the very purpose for which we were created. Now, when I, when I do talk to people about God outside of this setting, sometimes they'll question me. And they'll say, well, you know, I've known you for a while. I've been watching you for a while. And uh, if God is anything like you, mm, I'm not so sure I want to sign up for that. So there is a disconnect between my life, what I say and what I do, and God's life. That is why God reveals his glory in Christ. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. The exact representation of God. That's who Christ is. The gospel writer John described his encounter with Jesus this way. He said, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. 
I don't stay up and watch late night TV anymore because I can't stay up late anymore. I just fall asleep. But there was a time when I remember I used to stay up and I would watch The Tonight Show. Now, it, it's not The Tonight Show that's on now, like Saturday Night Live is not really Saturday Night Live anymore. Uh, the Tonight Show really was with Johnny Carson, right? That's the real Tonight Show. And Johnny Carson was the one who started the man-on-the-street interviews. So he'd send, send somebody out into the street, and they would ask pretty obvious questions, like, you know, who was the first president of the United States, or who's president now, or, or uh, uh, tell, me about, uh, tell me about God, and, and he'd get some hilarious answers. When they'd ask questions about God, a lot of people say, well, I, I don't believe in God. That's, that's just, you know, I don't believe in God. And they'd get some weird descriptions of God. Uh, around this time of year, they'd get a description. Uh, God is like this, like this big guy up in the sky with white hair and a, and a white beard, and he's jolly, and no, that's Santa Claus. Um, or he's like a policeman, or he's like a judge. And it's, it is kind of hard to describe God. That's not an easy task. The church has been struggling with that for a long time. As a matter of fact, I know that most of you have this memorized, but I don't, so I'm going to read it. This is what the Westminster Confession, this is how it describes God. So just a recite along if you, if you already have this committed to memory. There is but one only living and true God who is infinite in being and perfection, a most pure spirit, invisible without body parts or passions, immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, which is probably why we have a hard time comprehending him, almighty, most wise, most holy, most free, most absolute, working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will for his own glory, most loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. Is that how you remember it? Did I, did I get that right? That's a mouthful. That's a lot to remember. It's far easier to say, how would you describe God? And you simply say, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. He is the exact representation of God. Now there's another place that God reveals his glory. And this one takes a, a little bit more to get our minds around. This one is a little more difficult for people. God reveals his glory in the cross. John put it this way. This is Jesus in his high priestly prayer in John 17. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and he prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Jesus is talking here about his impending death by crucifixion. How on earth can this be seen as bringing glory to God. What, 
What kind of a God would offer the life of his only son for a bunch of dirty, rebellious sinners who constantly and consistently reject him? What kind of a God would do that? Well, here's the point. The point is that God's glory is revealed when he rescues his people. The cross, which was an instrument of death, became the very instrument of eternal life. It is the cross where God brings us home and reunites the family. Remember, God doesn't need us. God is self-sufficient, but God wants us. This is God's heart on display. The depth and extent of his love for us is revealed and displayed on the cross. I know that not everybody worships this God. I took a, I took a class in uh, undergraduate called World Religions. Uh, there was a lot of information in this class. It was really hard to stay awake, I'll just be honest with you. Just a lot of information. And we learned about all the different gods that people worship in the world. It's interesting that none of those gods compare to the God we worship and serve. None of those other gods go to the length that our God does to bring us home and give us eternal life. Our God's glory is unmatched and beyond comparison. The interesting thing about all those other world religions is that they put the monkey on our back. You have to earn a relationship with God. You have to sacrifice. You have to suffer. You have to become deserving and worthy of a relationship with God. But the God that we serve reverses this. It is God who sacrifices. It is God who suffers and takes on our sins so that he might declare us worthy and guilt-free. And our God proves that that's what he does when he reveals his glory in the resurrection. Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but made manifest in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. God's glory is the glorious victory over death. That is proven in the resurrection of Jesus Death no longer has the final word. Death no longer has the final word. Cancer. Cancer no longer has the final word. Heart disease no longer has the final word. Accidents, addiction, they no longer have the final word. Strokes and Alzheimer's no longer have the last word. The last word belongs to God, and that word is life. It is life. This is why we put our faith and hope in God, because he is gloriously victorious over the one thing that we will all experience and that many fear. Perfect love. And only perfect love will cast out fear. So those are just five places in Scripture where God reveals his glory in part. But what can we do? What can we do to reflect 
and reveal God's glory. Well, the first thing we can do is reveal God's glory in our trusting in Christ. I know you thought it was going to be a lot harder than that, (laughs) but that's really all there is to it. For you to place your trust in Christ. Paul writes, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ, and so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. No matter how many promises God has made, they all find their yes in Jesus. And our saying amen to that is what brings God glory. We reveal and reflect God's glory when we trust in Jesus as the fulfillment of every promise that God has made. They all find their yes in him. And finally, we reveal God's glory in our love and service toward others. Peter writes about God's glory. He says, above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he or she has received to serve others faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Johann Sebastian Bach loved that text. And he lived that text. That text is important to us at Lake Forest Church. Our mission is that we would love people as they discover and live out their role in God's story. So this morning, it's appropriate to ask yourself, what is my role? What is my role in God's story? What have I been uniquely gifted to do? And how can I use that gift in service to others? You know, God's glory and your good are always the same thing. God's glory and your good are always the same thing. In other words, if what you are about to say or do is going to bring glory to God, it is for your good. And likewise, if what we are about to say and do does not bring glory to God, then ultimately it is not going to be for our good. God loves us. He wants us. And God knows what is best for us. And what is best for us is to glorify Him and to enjoy Him forever. So, as you think about following Jesus and living in service to others, it's appropriate to ask yourself, how many things in your life could you add the initials S? 
SDG2. Could you add those to your work? Could you add those to your study? Could you add those initials to your relationships? Are all of your relationships to the glory of God alone? You know, we're made right with God not by what we do, but we're made right with God by what Jesus has done. And so as the chronicler reminded us in the text that was read at the beginning, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due His name. The New Testament puts it this way. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. This morning we're going to share in communion, sometimes referred to as the Eucharist. Eucharist is a, a Greek word which simply means to give thanks. And so this is, in essence, our 